This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger, and good morning to you and good morning to the world as once again we're beaming all over the planet again this morning with our weekly get-together on the Saturday morning show. Lots to talk about this morning. There is a deadline coming up for people wanting to get involved in crop insurance for this year's crop. And uh, as I say, I said earlier, we haven't talked to the chairman and CEO of the CME group for quite a while so we'll be checking in with him and before we check in with those folks we're going to check in with uh, max armstrong when we continue here on the saturday morning show across the desk at the microphone with us this weekend is joe camp from agrivisor welcome back thanks so much max you had a busy winter out there at farm meetings visiting with producers what did they tell you that's right. Well, we met with producers. We were going over the bullish cases, the bearish influences of our market. But ultimately, I think they helped me decide that we can be somewhat optimistic for price potentials going forward after what has obviously been a tough several months. The producers are talking a lot about China, of course. Are we going to have a trade deal? What will the prospects for export demand look like if we have a trade deal? with China. If we have a trade deal with China, what's next? Are we going to have a fight with the European Union or are we going to move forward on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada deal? There's a lot of questions and a lot of them it seems like they're all surrounding trade. And that's no surprise with the trade fight we've been in with China, but that's definitely top of mind for producers right now. When you take a look at the latest updates from USDA, uh, we're running behind projections, are we not, on many of our grain exports? Yeah, no doubt. Particularly soybeans. We'll start with the oil seed. Losing our top customer out of China in the midst of this trade war has been tough. We're looking at a carryout projection for the U.S. soybean balance sheet. That's probably almost double uh, what it would be uh, if we uh, were not to have lost China. So we're talking about over 900 million bushels of ending stocks projected for 2019. It could be, again, somewhere near 500 or even a little bit lighter if we had that normal demand from China. So it has hurt. Also sluggish have been corn and wheat exports, too, and we'll keep that in mind because it's been wheat, for example, that's been such an anchor on this market over the past several weeks, and that has been a direct product of disappointing trade demand. Plenty of supplies around the world to compete with ours, and we just haven't been able to get any interest in buying our wheat, you're saying. That's right. So it was this time of the year where we thought to ourselves, okay, the Russian exporters would be pretty well out of exportable supply here. The U.S. would take top spot and start to really fill some of the demand from larger customers like top importer Egypt or big importer Saudi Arabia, for example. But what has happened is that, one, it took Russia a lot longer to run out of those grain stocks after a big crop last year, and then two, We're also having competition that maybe we didn't quite expect as much 
from like from France. So yeah, the wheat uh, business is struggling right now. We think it can pick up a little bit because there is still time yet before we get this next northern hemisphere crop uh, into the bin. So I think trade uh, can improve, but it's been the bearish uh, driver lately for sure. The final stages of the maturation of that winter weed crop every year can uh, show some damage. It seems like you get into those last few weeks. That's when it really gets critical out there. But is there just too much wheat in the world? to see the market get very excited about any late winter kill. I think we would say that, Max, that there's too much wheat in the world. Maybe this time last year, this time uh, we, uh, we certainly have a lot of wheat, but we are, I think, on a trend of seeing tightening stocks, particularly in the hands of the major exporters. I mentioned Russia nearly out. They've got another crop coming. We'll see with the type of winter we've had in the northern hemisphere, an awfully cold one, we're still going to have those winter kill concerns, uh, I think, influence the market here. But we are on a trend, I think, of tightening global balance sheets that should help long-term, maybe a slightly better scenario than we were again maybe a year ago. We were talking with several of the corn and soybean growers at Commodity Classic a few days ago. Some of them had outstanding yields in 2018 that really made a difference in their ability to continue to farm. And some of them were crediting early planting, the ability to get in, uh, get that crop in, especially soybeans. And many producers were talking about that. Will you be watching planting progress? Uh, Will that matter to the folks in the trade this year to see how quickly... The crop goes in the ground. Yeah, you betcha. And that's going to be a really big market driver this spring. It always is. Planning intentions, how much of each crop will we put into the ground. But this year in particular, because of one, the way uh, fall was as short as it was, we had really rather minimal fall uh, field work having been completed. It gives us a shorter window this year, and this is a year when we thought we'd see sizable switching from soybeans to corn. So we'll see whether or not weather allows it. Uh, Weather always has its say, of course, in the spring on that acreage mix. But it's going to be an interesting uh, time of year knowing that we've got a lot to get done in a window that could potentially be wet. We're watching those weather forecasts and seeing the long-range predictions biased a little bit wetter than normal. That's switching to corn. In the area where you traveled this winter, visiting with a lot of uh, growers in Illinois, did you sense that there's going to be much switching there? That tends to be kind of a 50-50 area, doesn't it? Uh, Kind of steady-as-she-goes type region. That's funny. We always talk about the ice states really being rather locked into their rotation. But at the end of the day, all it takes is some small switching. If you have a a few producers in Illinois and Iowa say, yeah, we're going to switch just a little bit back over to corn we're talking about um you know big acreage in evan in illinois you know say 11 million uh, to soy for example that last year um was reduced by 200,000 acres 200,000 acres on an 11 million acre crop in illinois is a small percentage but 200,000 acres over the whole course of the country is actually a big deal and especially when it's in illinois when you're yielding um as as high as we are record uh, uh, yields relative to the rest of the country. So r- a really key influence here for the coming several weeks. We'll be keeping an eye on those acreage uh, expectations into the end of the month March planning intentions report. A couple of social uh, media images come to mind that I saw in the past week. One was a grower, I think it was between Bloomington and Champaign, somewhere in that I-74 corridor, out of the field with his combine, helping a neighbor or a fellow farmer 
trying to finish up the harvest. There is still crop in the field there. Another was of a big pile in an elevator somewhere in central Illinois, and the wind had blown the tarps off, and you could see there was a lot of corn piled out there. Still a lot of corn on the ground around Illinois, and that's a consideration we're going to have to have as marketers, knowing that any price rally is going to start to bring out some of that old crop. We look at the producer being uh, relatively undersold uh, relative to last year, relative to our normal average. So if we do get better prices ahead this spring, we're going to have to keep cognizant of the fact that the board can roll over as we get all this old crop grain that starts to wake, make its way to market. And then your comment about, uh, you know, the still, still crop standing, uh, that's, you know, uh, less, of course, um, of, a, of a problem mm-hmm. here in the central Midwest, but that's definitely telling of, of the troubles they had in the far northwest and in the far southeast. As you know, hurricanes that came in through the southeast region and then a really short um, uh, fall and a quick start to winter in the northwest. Yeah, it sets us up for, again, an interesting start to planting season 2019. What was the most important counsel you gave to farmers as you talked with them this winter about uh, being alert, making sure you don't miss something here? I think it was about uh, practicing diversification, and we're always preaching that. One, this encouragement to make small sales. I read a study once that said the average marketer makes about eight sales in a marketing year. The better-than-average marketer makes more than that, more than about eight sales. So you're making many small sales and utilizing many different contracting alternatives. So we were fortunate to get out and tell producers about the agrivisor products and we're saying you know use those alongside your averaging programs and your other hga alternatives talk to the folks at the elevator get to know those contracts because ultimately it's diversification that we're going to need and to get us out of uh, of a tough time that uh, we're still in for sure joe it's nice to have you here we appreciate it thanks so much joe camp with agrivisor it's 19 minutes after five o'clock good to have you with us here on this saturday morning on wgn radio as i mentioned a lot of activity going on next week that we're going to be talking about but one of the activities is a deadline for crop insurance the new farm bill includes changes for federal crop insurance and the deadline for signing up or making changes in existing policies is next friday march 15th steve alexander has more for us this morning Let's talk about crop insurance and a deadline coming up on Friday, and let's bring in an expert to tell us about it. Craig Ladwig, uh, co-owner of Premier Insurance Solutions, LLC. Craig's home office is in Cascade, Wisconsin. Let's begin with the deadline coming up Friday, March 15th. Any, If you're an existing customer, any changes um, to levels... Uh, additions to maybe you you picked up a new county or you're going to plant a new crop. Um, If you're a corporation or LLC and you added a new member or uh, if somebody has left, you have to make those changes by that date. If you want to cancel, it has to be done by March 15th. Is it possible for a farmer, a producer, to survive without crop insurance? You know, I, I personally live in an area where we have some smaller farms that are old family farms that maybe don't have a lot of debt and do uh, sell what they call self-insure. In today's world, where there's a lot of money being borrowed, it gives the bank some uh, relief knowing that there is some protection out there. It gives the farmer 
some peace in mind knowing that they have protection. Uh, I don't know why uh, you would go without it uh, to protect, number one, your investment that you've built up and paid for, or number two, uh, in a worst-case scenario, it may be the difference between that farmer growing a crop the next year or going out of business if they do or do not have crop insurance. And to be clear, the March 15th deadline is only for signing up for new insurance or making changes to your existing policy. If you're okay with your policy the way it is, it will just roll over, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So any, any if you're an existing customer, any changes um, to levels... Uh, additions to maybe you, you picked up a new county or you're going to plant a new crop. Um, if you're a corporation or LLC and you added a new member or uh, if somebody has left, you have to make those changes by that date. If you want to cancel, it has to be done by March 15th. You mentioned picking up a new county. Does that mean a producer who might uh, pick up some land in a county adjacent to his? Correct, correct. Uh, there is a new election this year for those that have an enterprise unit uh, called the multi-county enterprise unit discount. If the majority of your land is in one county, uh, you have a parcel uh, in an adjoining county that does not qualify for the enterprise unit discount. Uh, this new option allows us to incorporate that uh, that other county and get a discount on that land if it does qualify. As Craig and his colleagues visited farmers across the Midwest, they had conversations about what Craig calls the not-fun questions about managing risk because there isn't a lot of room for error. Well, uh, searching a dollar right now is difficult, and making sure you have insurance that is what you need, um, not what the neighbor has, because everybody's situation is different. Are you covering your operating loans? You know, your your production costs, you know, it's in our experiences and our travels, knowing your cost of production is, is ultra important because the, the, the margin, the profit margins are so tight, there's no room for error. And, you know, knowing that you have the protection that if, if something does go wrong, that you're adequately insured is a, a big deal these days. And, and make sure you are where you need to be and, and talk to your banker and have those conversations with your banker and lender uh, to make sure you have the coverage that, that you need and give everybody the peace of mind knowing that going forward for 2019 that you're well protected. I found it interesting that with all of the uh, hoopla uh, surrounding the inclusion of industrial hemp in the, uh, the farm bill that industrial hemp is not covered by crop insurance? Not, not yet. Um, I anticipate in maybe 2020 or the following year uh, once they collect, you know, more data information, that it will be an insurable crop. Okay. It's very, very popular. Where we feel a lot of phone calls about it. Craig Gladwig of Premier Insurance Solutions, LLC, in Cascade, Wisconsin. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for all of the information. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Steve. And I say thank you to Steve and his guest this morning with that reminder that you do have a deadline coming up, and it'll happen on Friday, March 15. Oh, another thing I want to remind you of, uh, for Sunday morning, tomorrow morning, set your alarm clocks for 2 a.m. 
so that you can wake up and at the proper time move the clock forward one hour. Daylight saving time comes into effect at uh, 2 o'clock tomorrow morning, and I know you'll want to do it at exactly the same time. As far as I'm concerned, I move it ahead before I go to sleep tonight, but just a reminder, daylight saving time starts, and uh, I keep i've talked about this for years why do we why do we do this why don't we go with one time throughout the season because uh, my dad had what i thought was the best definition of uh, daylight saving time dad said it's like having a blanket cutting a foot off the bottom of the blanket and sewing it on top of the blanket to make it longer Blanket doesn't end up being any longer, just like we don't end up making more sunshine in a day. But spring forward, and that happens, uh, well, before you go to bed tonight. So make sure that you do that. Coming up next week, of course, National Agriculture Day, and a lot of events throughout the week. Uh, It doesn't have to be on that day. As a matter of fact, the date for National Agriculture Day this year had to be changed after they set the original date because the original date that was set, Congress was out of session. And one of the reasons for National Agriculture Day is for a lot of agricultural people, producers, people involved in agribusiness, to go to Washington, D.C., to call attention to the members of Congress and government officials, people at USDA, the important role that agriculture plays in the United States and also in the world. So uh, Max Armstrong will be heading for Washington next week to cover the activities at National Agriculture Day, and I hope you and your community will get involved in that as well. It's 27 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and as I said at the top of the show, uh, we haven't talked to... uh, the chairman and chief executive officer of the CME Group, the operators of the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Terry Duffy, haven't talked to him, I think, for half a year or so. So uh, he's going to spend some time with us this morning to talk about risk management and markets and what's going on around the world as far as that risk management is involved. So we hope you'll stay with that. And on Samuelson Says, I'll talk a little bit about a quick trip, an overnight trip that I made to Washington, D.C. this week back on Tuesday. And I had the opportunity to address two different groups that come to Washington annually about this time of the year. We'll tell you why and what the groups are all about. And I'll talk about the fact that after all my time covering agriculture, I thought I knew everything there was to know about people and organizations that are involved in the agricultural community. So we'll be talking about that just a little bit later. Oh, and the one other thing I wanted to mention, too, when I've got time before we get to the news, we keep talking about college scholarships that are available to uh, 
young people who were entering college. And again, more of those scholarships presented this past week in Orlando, Florida, by the National Pork Producers Council. They awarded scholarships to 10 college students who intend to pursue careers in the pork industry. And let me quickly mention the names of the 10. John Altendorf of Drake University, Jenna Chance of Kansas State University, Holly Cook of Iowa State University, Hunter Everett, North Carolina State University, Sarah Heiler of the Iowa State University, Mariah Huge of Purdue University, Catherine Helmink of Southern Illinois University, and uh, William Mengler, Iowa State University, Sierra Williamson, University of Minnesota, and Blake Walters, South Dakota State University, All of them, all 10, received scholarships valued at $2,500 this week as the National Pork Producers Council wound up its um, uh, annual meeting in Orlando, Florida. Well, we're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday morning show, and that means we take a break for news, and we'll do that when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Sounds like we're going to get some early April showers today as we move into daylight saving time. And we're with you until 6 o'clock this morning. And right now, time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week, talking about some lesser-known organizations serving the agricultural community. Hello? You think you two are happy? I'm sorry, I... You think you're in a good relationship? They're fried in oil. What exactly are we talking about here? Your nuts. My nuts? Your nuts. Ugh. No one ever told me they were fried. You didn't hear it from me, but Fisher Oven Roasted Nuts are never fried. Fisher Oven Roasted Nuts. Never fried. Nothing to hide. After half a century of being involved with people and organizations serving the agricultural community, I thought I knew everything I needed to know about every group involved in serving all facets of agriculture in every way. But once again, I was wrong. As I learned last week when I traveled to Washington, D.C. to address an annual gathering of two organizations. How much do you know about CARET, the Council for Agricultural Research, Extension, and Teaching, or APLU, the Association of Public and Land-Grant Universities? Well, I know a lot more than I did. There were about 250 people in the audience representing, yes, agricultural producers, but also representing science, education, teaching, and research, all benefiting agriculture. These folks make this trip to Washington once a year, many at their own expense, to talk to members of Congress about the need to continue funding for these programs that are so vital to the health and the well-being of people in this country and around the world. They are programs that need support from all of us. 
Oh, and while I'm at it, let me thank all of you who serve as leaders in Carrot and APLU, as well as the other organizations in the agriculture community. Serving as an officer or committee chairman takes you away from your farm, ranch, or agribusiness to serve in a leadership role at little or no pay. And more importantly, it takes you away from time with the family and involvement in your community. I've had the opportunity to travel with many of you on foreign trade missions to share the impressive story of American agriculture, and I am always impressed by your knowledge and dedication to make this world a better place. So thanks to all of you for getting involved in telling the great story of American agriculture. My thoughts on Samuelson Says... A presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock. And as I've mentioned several times since coming on the air after 5 o'clock this morning, we're going to be visiting with the chairman and chief executive officer of the CME Group, Terry Duffy, when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's been too long since we've joined Terry Duffy on the air to talk about what's happening in the world of risk management at the CME Group. Terry Duffy is chairman and chief executive officer of the CME Group, but Terry, I've known you since you were trading hogs as a floor trader. Yes, you have, Orion, and I've had the great pleasure of knowing you and uh, knowing you even before that by listening to your show. You've been so instrumental in so many traders' lives and helping so many different people being educated on the marketplace. So I greatly appreciate it from that standpoint, Orion, and you're well, your friend. It's been a labor of love for me, and since you brought up education, back in the olden days, in the late 1970s, I was a member of the Board of Directors of the Chicago Board of Trade. And at that time, my big concern was that we weren't doing enough to educate people who use the market or should be using the market. And I commend you for what you've done to educate people like state fair activity, and uh, supporting young people. What has prompted that as far as the CME group is concerned, Terry? Well, Lorian, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I'm a big believer in education in the marketplace. And, you know, when we looked at continuing to build out our business, you know, there's been a lot, so much talk, Orion, as you know, about high-frequency trading, all the technology that's gone into it. And my focus has really been on bringing in new participants into the marketplace and starting at a very young age. So whether it's the, the commodity carnival that we have at the 4-H, whether it's sponsoring the 4-H, whether it's being working with the ag communities to bring them into the marketplace, it's been a big push that I've had here at CME, especially over the last several years. And I think when you look at the results of what we've been trying to accomplish, Orion, especially as it relates to the open interest or positions, as you know, that are open on the books of CME that have yet to be closed out. 
Today, most high-frequency traders, Orion, they go home flat for the day. So they trade all day long, but they don't carry overnight positions. It's really the commercials and the people that are doing risk transfer that carry the open interest. And that's sitting near record levels at CME. Today, Orion, we're sitting at 127 million contracts open across our asset classes, which is a reflection of new participants coming in to manage their risk. So, you know, we believe very much in educating people at all levels, starting with the young folks and continuing through the generations. And, I, you know, I've been down to the State Fair many of times. I've sat down with the Cattlemen's Association, and a young man came up to me, and he talked more about option strategies on cattle product futures than I've ever heard. So, I mean, I think that the education has become more and more mainstream, and I think that's healthy for the economy, especially the ag community and the rest of the, uh, the population. So we're very excited by the education of it. And it's education that goes both ways. It goes from the CME group, but it also comes back to you. As a matter of fact, you mentioned cattle. And I was in Washington, D.C. this week to talk to the agricultural college deans that, you know, are putting the focus on education for our future farmers. And uh, a cattleman came up to me. He's a retired cattleman, but he said, is everything settled between the cattle people and the CME group? Because I know so you worked on that. I do, and I still work on all different issues across all of our asset classes. But, you know, obviously me trading in the livestock when I was a very young uh, man starting in the business, so I have a passion for that uh, part of the sector, obviously. Um, but, yes, we I have worked with the Cattlemen's Association. I was just with a group of folks down at a conference that we hold, um, and the NCBA was represented at the event, and we had good conversations. Um, yeah, there's always some issues as it relates to convergence. There's always some issues as it relates to high-frequency trading in the marketplace. And I think as the world has moved forward over the last several years, Orion, the cattlemen and the participants have adjusted to uh, – the way the markets are trading versus maybe the way they were trading just a few short years ago. So I think we have worked hand-in-hand educating them. They've educated us, and I think it's been a really good partnership to let them uh, make sure that they have a risk management tool that fits their needs because that's what's critically important. You mentioned the volume and the activity in trading, and I go back to your uh income report and that sort of thing it continues to climb we're finding more people aren't we that are using risk management we sure are orion i mean if you 2018 was a record year for cme group um we were up 22 percent uh year over year and uh, it was one of the best years that we we had in uh, 2018 and there's a whole host of fundamental factors, obviously, that are associated with it. But really, it's bringing risk management tools to the rest of the world and bringing them that a way that's cost-effective for them to manage that risk. And, and that's really what we're charged here to do and to make sure that we don't sacrifice the risk management of those products at, at, the, at the expense of trying to bring greater value for the participants. So... You know, we've been very fortunate, and this one of the things that maybe some of your listeners will be uh, interested in hearing. Our ag volumes alone were at 1.5 million 
which was up 9% year over year in the fourth quarter of 2018. So that that's really impressive numbers because if you talk about 1971, Orion, when you were sitting on the board of the Chicago Board of Trade, but those numbers were just unheard of back then. Oh, yeah. And so it's really um, it's been able to grow just dramatically. And I think the fourth quarter earnings of CME uh, really uh, reflects those uh, the growth through all of our asset classes. But I like to point out the eggs. Well, we talk agriculture, of course, all the time and uh, report all of your markets on that activity. What about relationships with the CFTC? Are they a, a good, fair oversight group? You know, I, I do believe so, Orion. I think that a, there's always a little tension between a regulator and its participants, and I think that's good. I think there should be a little tension between uh, participants and, and its regulator. But I, I'm a believer, Orion, and I've been saying this for a lot of years, that good, smart regulation also breeds good, smart, credible markets. And so I like to put those two things together, and I think that the Commodity Futures Trading Commission as you know, has been an oversight agency since 1973, since the Ag Committee uh, has uh, relinquished that responsibility. And I think they've done a, a really good job. And they're fighting some constraints on budgetary issues, like every other federal agency. But they've done a really good job of managing the markets. And the partnership that we have working with them, as you know, our interest, or and we don't care if the market goes up or down. We just want to make sure we manage the risk properly like I said earlier. So I think the CFTC has really done a good job on its oversight of the marketplace, and we work with them closely, but at the same time, there's always a bit of a tension there. As we look at risk management, how big a role do options now play in the market? Very big, Orion, and I'm glad you raised that because it's one of the great growth areas that CME and the rest of the world has had is on options uh trading. Uh, options has become more mainstream. It seems like the retail participants like to trade options because um, they they've have a, a good understanding of options today. They know that they can limit their risks on options. Um, so there's a lot of option strategies that have been deployed through CME, and it's been really uh, the proliferation of the, the growth of it has been extraordinary. And um, I think it only helps the underlying products uh, as well. So it's, it's been a great growth area for CME and for other institutions as well. Well, for years, the mercantile exchange was known as the butter and egg market and the board of trade as the grain market. But now we've kind of put the two together, haven't we? We have, Orion, and, and that's really been amazing. You know, my dear friend Charlie Carey, who yes. the former chairman of uh, the Chicago Board of Trade, who sits on our board on the parent company board today, led that along with myself back in 2007. And I, I'm a big believer, Orion. If we did not put those two institutions together at the time that we did, that Charlie and I were able to lead that that you would not have these institutions, not only in Chicago, you might not even have them in the United States of America, because they they would have gotten eaten up and taken apart by participants from either here or other parts of the world. But we were able to put them together to create the efficiencies for the users and grow these businesses as one. I don't think we would have been able to do that as two standalone institutions. So I think it's been good for the city of Chicago. I think it's been good for market participants, and uh, it's been good for the United States of America. And, of course, you're a global market, countries all over the world that trade these markets, right? They they sure do, Orion. I mean, just a, sh- a few short years ago, most of our revenue was out of North America, 
And today, Orion, roughly 30% of CME Group's revenue comes from outside of North America. So the growth of our products globally has just been amazing. We're in roughly 150 countries around the world. You know, we have employees uh, based all throughout the globe and growing this business. And uh, I think it's, it's truly one of the great gems in the United States. Uh, I know sometimes financial services gets a bad name, but when you look at what financial services can do for the security of a nation and how it's the envy of the rest of the world to have institutions like not only CME, but the NYSE and others in their country is very much a benefit to the people. Even if they don't believe they use their products, there's still an inherent benefit to the, to the participants. So I, I just think these are great institutions and um, they are definitely growing globally. I know that you're always looking for new products to put on the market. Anything coming down the line that you can talk about? You know, we've been adding on to our, our suite of products, Oregon. I mean, it seems like yesterday when I first started trading, there was 15, 16 products you could trade at CME and probably a very similar number at the Board of Trade back in the late 70s, early 80s. And today there's over a 1,000 products to be traded you know, at the CME group. So it's really grown exponentially. But I think one of the things I would highlight is the recent acquisition of the next group out of London that we just acquired, um, which is the cash side of the, 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 the treasury business, the, the cash side of the foreign exchange, very complementary to what CME has on the future side. And then really one of the things that I think will benefit all of the asset classes, especially the ag and others, is the optimization or the back office services that we acquired in this company to make it much more efficient for the market participants. Um, so that's some of the things that we're focused on right now. And obviously, Orion, as you reference new products, nothing I could share with you at the moment, but new products are critically important. They're the lifeblood of any institution, so you constantly need to innovate, knowing full well that certain things might not be successful, but you have to continually put money into R&D as it relates to new products. Well... You're looking for new products, and I share this with you. I received a call from a lady in Chicago who listens regularly for markets, and she wondered when I was going to start carrying futures prices on cannabis. So there's a new product for you, Terry. Uh, what yeah, do you, you say know, to uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> well, Oregon, what I would say to that is, um, you know, as a federally regulated entity, I cannot list cannabis futures because they are not federally approved. So I would say to your listener that, unfortunately, she's going to have to get her pricing somewhere out of Colorado or somewhere out of Canada. But there are some listed companies, as you know, trading this out of Canada, but not on a futures price. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. You know, I think a lot of people chuckled as it relates to cryptocurrencies 10 years ago, Orion, and now they're talking about them like they're mainstream. So I'm not saying I'm a proponent one way or, in, or not a proponent of cannabis. I think when you look at some of the benefits it could add to people to get them off the opioids and things of that nature and some of the other things of the benefits, but I, I think we also have to be mindful of gateway drugs and things of that nature. So there's always a balance. You know, CME's reputation is very, very important, not only to me, but to my employees and my shareholders and the users of our of the CME. So we'll keep a close watch on that, but I would not, I would tell your listener that that's probably not something I'm going to be listing in the near term uh, as the cannabis futures.
I'm relieved to hear that because I wouldn't feel comfortable reporting cannabis futures, frankly. <laughs> would not be uh, very comfortable with that. This is something we have to do a little more often if I can ever catch you in the office, and I'm grateful for your time today. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Orion Samuelson, I am at your disposal anytime you want. I am a fan of yours and your program, and I would do uh, anytime you need me. Don't hesitate to call. I will do that, and you've got a great staff that helps me a great deal on all of that. Our visit today with the Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the CME Group, Chicago, Terry Duffy. Before we hit the 6 o'clock news, a couple of events next week here in the Midwest. In addition to National Agriculture Day, the Toy and Antique Tractor Show coming to Sublet, Illinois. It's the 37th year for that event. It will be on March 16 and 17 in Sublet, Illinois. They're featuring uh, John Deere this year in honor of the 100th anniversary of John Deere manufacturing uh, farm tractors and equipment. And on display will be a 100-year-old restored Waterloo Boy tractor. That will be on display on Sunday at the Sublet Farm Toy Show and Antique Tractor Show. So make note of that. And then the other event coming up next week that is in its 35th year, I think, is the Leland, Illinois Lions Club annual farm machinery auction that will take place saturday march 16th 9 a.m downtown leland illinois Uh, two events that have gotten a lot of attention and a lot of attendance over the years we hope you have good weather and we hope everything works just fine and that's our time here on the saturday morning show as always a pleasure to uh find time to chat with you and uh, we enjoy working every week with bob ferguson who spins the dials and everything else to make this all happen but thank you very much i'm orion samuelson along with max armstrong orion samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on wgn hear his reports weekday mornings on the steve cochran show and during the noon hour on the Windrust business lunch Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.